Welcome to the Financial Podcast by Unimacquarie. I'm your host, Addison Ryan, and today we have a very special episode in store for you. As discussed last week, we spoke about one small Australian company on the ASX called DroneShield, performing very well for the week due to an important client deal with the European Union Police Forces. And here to talk with me about it all is the CEO of Drone Shield himself, Oleg Vornik. Oleg, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Edison. Now, it's, it's a real pleasure to be speaking with you. And I've been following the company personally for you know almost three years now. So I know what the company is about, but could you just give us a brief summary of Drone Shield and the solutions you provide for our listeners? Yes, of course. Drone Shield is an approximately five-year-old company focused on detecting defeat of nefarious drones. So if you think of small drones like DJI Mavic that you can buy from JB Hi-Fi for yeah. one or two thousand bucks, you have, of course, with all the positive uses of the technology, the negative uses being people either uh, inflict Havoc on airports, like we've seen in Gatwick a couple of years ago, um, where uh, all aircraft is grounded due to drone flying around the facility, or bad guys like ISIS strapping grenades onto the drone and then basically using them as improvised flying bombs um, or yeah, conducting um, surveillance. So the customers we have um, are normally different types of government agencies ranging from militaries to um, law enforcement uh, to others, curriculum infrastructure, and even corporates um, where legal for them to purchase our equipment concerned about privacy. In terms of the products we sell, it's a range of devices designed to detect drones in different ways and then to yeah. defeat them. Um, we use uh, jamming or I guess you can say soft defeat um, as opposed to firing at the drones to reduce collateral damage. You imagine if you are at a busy stadium, for example, and you have a drone that you're trying to get rid of, you certainly don't want to start uh, firing and you know take uh, a few people out in the process. So, uh, um, Is that famous shotgun story um, on the backyard or something in the US with the uh, with the person shooting down the drone. I know you've discussed that uh, mm. before. So it's definitely um, your solutions are a lot more sophisticated um, than re- ringing out the 12 gauge. So I, I fully understand that. Um, and you, you've also got um, the AI tech coming out. Um, as of today, I think I, I saw that published. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit as well? Yeah, we're really excited about this. So as drones rapidly evolve, you have hundreds of new models coming to market all the time. Um, Mm. We are a bit like an antivirus, so you want to be able to rapidly respond. The uh, current challenge that we have is that depending on the drone model, it can take a little while to add that drone signature to our threat library and ensure that you are protected against that. So artificial intelligence and machine learning basically enables the uh, computer to do, uh, of course, tasks that a human would do, but much, much faster and and more accurately. So it's, uh, yeah, so it's basically an ability for us to use signal processing um, through different sensors. So in our case, it's through the camera feed and also through the radio frequency feed. And then enable the machine to recognize the drone based on either their camera signature. So kind of like how you look at the screen and say, well, that's a drone. So a computer can do the same. Uh, Or through the uh, radio frequency signature, which of course is much more complicated in terms of what exactly does a drone put out in terms of its um, radio frequency emissions that, for example, your Wi-Fi router would not. Yeah, wow, that's actually really impressive. I hadn't thought about it that way. Well, how many... um, uh, uh, sort of drone threats on the system how many were there beforehand like 
and in rough figures, like a thousand or something, or and now I guess it's unlimited. Um, Look, we, we don't tend to we don't tend to share that information as it's quite sensitive. Okay. But there are uh, literally thousands of drones out there, and new ones are being added all the time. And this is just oh. commercial off the shelf before you get to modified drones or military drones that kind of thing. Of course. Well, I think that uh, the AI thing makes total sense. And coming from a technology background myself, uh, you know, the way you uh, described it, I think it's fantastic for how the business um, operates. Um, well, I guess now that um, our listeners can know, now know a little bit about Drone Shield, um, and we've spoken about a little bit of the exciting news of the recent EU deal. Um, but just before we go on to that, uh, I have to say it must be an incredibly tough period to run a business during this pandemic. However, I know we know that Drone Shield's done quite well in, in the period um, with the uh, before mentioned uh, deal with the European Union police forces, but. Um, how, more importantly, how is the event personally affecting yourself and the company? COVID certainly impacted us much like everybody else. Uh, luckily, we are not as affected as, say, hospitality industry because the yeah. nature of our customers being government agencies, most of these guys uh, quickly found their bearings and are still continuing to operate, although perhaps in a different setting, working from home as opposed to, say, uh, coming to the office. So we're still seeing a good degree of activity and our uh, diversified range of customers means that whoever is quiet, somebody else is always busy. We're doing quite a lot yeah. of work um, both in the US and Australia and we're seeing that those customers are still willing to go out and, and do uh, and see customer demonstrations and um, right purchase orders. Like for example, we are delivering now the um, order for uh, a high-profile government agency that we announced a couple of months ago. So that is yeah. still ongoing. And also on the supply chain, on the manufacturing side of things, when we set things up, we're very mindful for resilience. Uh, so, of course, nobody could see a virus coming around the corner, but we always operate on the basis of, well, what happens if a um, supplier goes out of business or for whatever reason we cannot purchase from them anymore to make sure it doesn't cripple our uh, production capabilities. So that came very much into play when COVID hit um, in that yeah. um, we haven't really seen much in the way of disruption. So look, I'd say a lot of things have been delayed and that ultimately what we do is a person-to-person -person business. So a lot of um, those meetings, conferences have been postponed and you know who knows yeah. when that's going to start again. And we are an export business. So it is reliant on being on the road, um, you know, like in a normal year, I spend probably somewhere between three to six months traveling, meeting with customers, wow. and which, which is quite a lot. And I'm not the only mm -hmm. one in the business doing that. This, this is not unusual. This is just a um, nature of being um, exporter in that nascent kind of technology market that, that we are. Um, and, you know, Zoom calls can replace it to a degree, but there's only so much. Um, so I, I would yeah. say stuff that's been fairly advanced. Uh, so at the point where the customer already seen the product, they are happy that it does what it says in the tin and it meets the requirements. Um, those processes tend to continue and convert into purchases uh, and deployments. And then um, things which are probably a little bit earlier on um, have been a bit slower, although in places like I mentioned, Australia and the US, we are continuing um, where regulations allow to do kind of smaller scale demonstrations. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've, you've 
the company's been able to mitigate the risk pretty well. And, you know, it, I know it would be tough, but it's tough on everyone. And it sounds like you're um, doing quite well. Um, now, of course, the, um, the the big news coming out last week, which I'm, I'm sure you're very pleased with, um, the signing, the commercial deal with the European Union police forces. Now, yeah, I was pretty excited to see this come out. Um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts as well. But how do you feel knowing... Uh, you're going to be selling your products to one of the largest government bodies on the planet. Oh, this is really exciting for us. So we were one of the pioneers in this industry. And 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 um, I, I think people looking at us from the outside sort of say, okay, well, um, how legitimate is this counter-drone problem? And it took us several years to convince people that nefarious drones really are a problem to the point where yeah. people are prepared to spend money on it. And then I guess the next thing came along where people were saying, well, yes, it's a real problem, but will people buy your products? How do you know, how yeah. do you know um, what, what you make makes sense? And, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's good equipment. It's a very fair question because there is a lot of snake oil in our industry and a lot of people selling stuff that frankly doesn't work. Um, so yeah. we started seeing um, smaller contracts and that's been the case for the last couple of years. Um, and then I guess the next question came, well, yes, you can kind of sell in smaller lots, but what about a meaningful sale? Um, so what we feel this uh, European Union police transaction uh, has unlocked is kind of the next stage of people gaining confidence in us uh, as a business, both on the customer side and on the investor side, uh, saying, yes. yes, we can deliver products. And by the way, this customer has put the um, Drone Gun Tactical, um, which is the pr um, this framework agreement uh, product, okay. uh, under uh, substantial testing uh, prior to us winning the tender. Um, so the customer has full confidence in this product. Um, it's going to be a large-scale rollout. We um, don't have the exact numbers, but um, based on what we understand, it is going to be material. Um, and, and yes. that also uh, gives us a lot of street cred for um, any other deals that we do. Yeah. It's, it's all about credibility, credibility, credibility in the space. Mm. And you definitely got that um, now after that deal coming through. And now selling to um, such a, a massive client, do you believe um, your product has the ability to scale globally after this deal? I know that was discussed uh, lightly in um, some of the announcements, but how, how do you personally, what's your take on this? Scalability is something that we try to address from uh, step one. So when we, um, yeah. when we design a new product, uh, when we make the first couple of batches, we tend to do them in almost a manual way. So we iron out, uh, I guess, any potential issues. Um, and once the product is going after that, we invest in having um, ways to ensure that we can stamp our products quickly. So, you know, in terms of production presses, uh, in terms of how the pro the manufacturing processes are set up, um, you know, ensuring that all of our uh, supply chain partners can procure components mm. uh, uh, in in kind of higher um, amounts for us in a timely manner. Um, thing to remember about defense industry is that traditionally it's quite a slow industry. So you you would go to yeah. a defense company. Uh, and you would say, well, can I buy, say, this radar? And they'll be like, yes, we can deliver it to you really quickly in next six months. Um, and when, you know, and we, when we, uh, I guess, you know, started this business, we said, well, no, this will not work for us. 
uh, and every single product, uh, you know, in virtually any quantity needs to be delivered, um, ideally, in a, um, you know, 90 days or less. So um, th this yeah. was a bigger challenge than uh, one would expect, but we, we got there eventually. Um, and and, and right. so we feel that we are ready for uh, larger capabilities, larger orders. Yeah, of course. Um, and just continuing on the, the European deal, I know the company has partnerships in Europe uh, such as Thales and Bosch. I, I was going to say BT, but I don't know if that counts for the European Union now. Um, how can those partnerships help custom sales in, um, in Europe? Well, each of them does add credibility because uh, it is a large company that puts its um, you know, reputation on the line uh, doing the partnership with us. They all evaluated our products. Each one of them works in, on a slightly different model compared to um, the other. So from BT's point of view, it is more of a classic distributor model, although they're very well equipped to support um, on-the-ground installation and ongoing services mm. being a telco, you know, think equivalent of a Telstra here, but on a bigger scale. Um, as far as Bosch goes, of course, they have uh, cameras, which we use in our system. So from their point of view, yeah. this is... Um, so if you have a customer in Europe, maybe a police department, maybe a stadium or a prison or an airport, and they have Bosch cameras installed, well, now they can say um, those cameras can detect drones when coupled with our other sensors as well. So additional capability from existing products and also new tenders that Bosch is undergoing. When it comes to Talis, of course, their uh, approach is to try to solve as many issues that their customers may have. So uh, they might have yeah. um, a defense department or a particular European country come to them and say, well, we're trying to solve uh, these five issues and, and one of them is, is drone protection. So what do you suggest? Yeah. And uh, what we often find with large defense primes is that our counter drone market, of course, is really large. And you know, for us, a 10, 20, 50 million dollar contract is quite a lot of money. But for defense primes, yeah. it's um, in a lot of cases almost not quite large enough to really dedicate their own product development to. Um, so this kind of partnership works really well because they have um, somebody like Talis would now have ability to address their customer requirements through us filling that gap for them. Uh, but not necessarily invest in trying to develop uh, their own capability. And also keep in mind that we move yeah. pretty quickly. We are quite nimble and um, we don't have a huge amount of overhead that a large defense company would do. So from our perspective, it's a walk in into uh, kind of contracts that we may not necessarily get ourselves. Uh, and from their point of view, yeah. it's filling the customer requirement gap that they may not have done as well by themselves. Well, it's a win-win because you have less to bring you, keep you down and you can stay a bit more versatile. I mean, you're talking about being able to sell things within, you know, 90 days and not the six months. So it's good to not be um, the necessarily traditional. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, and the last thing I just wanted to put on um, talking about the European Union police forces, uh, what kind of drone solutions do you would you offer to um, – you were talking about the drone tactical gun earlier, but – what, what, what solutions are the, probably the best for the police force? I know that the Queensland police use it in the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in 2018, mm -hmm. but can you go into depth? Uh, sure. So drone gun is a naturally very well-fitted product for kind of like I see the drone, yeah. now I take the drone down situation. Yes, in Australia, it's been used by Queensland police, by uh, Australian Federal Police, the AFP, um, and also um, other yeah. NCs uh, globally. Now, uh, other solutions we offer that also can fit the situation quite well is our body-worn 
RF patrol device. Um, and yeah. that, of course, uh, says, okay, well, before you detect, before you defeat the drone, how do you detect it? Uh, so if you're lucky enough, you'll see it with your own eyes, but um, a device can uh, can tell you when um, when the drone is, when you're not necessarily um, looking up, when it's approaching you. Um, and then, of course, we have our vehicle-based solution, so new drone Sentry X that you can have mounted on top yeah. of a police car, for example, or um, even yeah. our fixed side solution. So when you have, uh, say, a um, stadium or other uh, kind of more semi-permanent or permanent uh, sites that you're trying to protect from counter-drone point of view, uh, that that solves it, uh, or you can even mount a system on a uh, trailer behind the car. Although uh, Sentry oh, X right. on top of the car kind of does much of the same job. So, um, so we have a number of different solutions for different situations, and that's probably another thing that sets us apart from um, uh, you know from other people in that we are we're not trying to sort of push one solution because that's the only thing we have, but. Um, you know, tailored solutions for whatever uh, the situation is. But I think it's fair to say that um, virtually our entire product suite is relevant to the police force. And um, yeah. while this framework agreement is um, initially focused on drone gun tactical, we'll certainly use it as an opportunity to make the customers aware of our other offerings and try to cross-sell. Yeah, because those um, the drone centers that, that mount, they look, they look awesome, and I think they'd be also very effective um, in the police forces, and I'm sure that will be utilised in the short term. So, yeah, thanks for talking about the EU deal, and I really appreciate that. I guess um, sort of the other questions that's getting a lot of chatter online, and I don't know if you if you um, read sort of what people say on um, sort of the I know, investing platforms or, or anything like that, but I guess they're saying the one thing that they're always talking about is capital and capital raising and funds. You said in your recent quarterly update that the business doesn't seek a capital raise for 2020, the 2020 mm-hmm. calendar year. And, you know, it's a fantastic call and um, definitely seems um, legitimate. But is it tough to make these kinds of calls to reassure investors? Uh, look, we took a view looking at our cash balance and the forecast of, um, you know, what we see as purchase orders that we already have in hand um, and even, yeah. you know, excluding um, purchase orders that we see any kind of possibility of delay and, and took those out when we, when we did that forecast. So when we said that even under our um, kind of negative uh, forecasts, we still are fine for the rest of the calendar year. Now that's, uh, that's, wow, really? uh, that's, still, uh, that's still the case. We are mindful that uh, investor dilution is, is not something that um, you know, our shareholders appreciate. Uh, so yeah. um, it, it is not our intention as it stands to go to market. Uh, I mean, look, you, you never say never. So at the end of the day, if there is a reason, like say oh, if we um, score a really big um, sale, which uh, requires working capital that we cannot get through other yeah. means, then, you know, we'll look at going to market with that. Uh, and I think a lot a lot more people would be confident to do that if it's for, you know, a really good sort of uh, material and tangible thing like a recent sale. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely understand mm-hmm. that. No, well, I think, yeah, you've definitely answered perfectly what sort of what I'm, I was thinking and what, Others, others would be thinking as well because they want to make sure that they're not um, worried about shared dilution or, or anything like that. So, 
yeah, I mean, those calls you were making though about um, you know they seem pretty conservative and, and you know for a small cap not to you know capital raise for you know the 2020 calendar year knowing what uh, we've gone through you know potentially is very very good and you know I'm I'm really glad to have um, that conversation as well and the present is looking pretty good for Drone Shield but what about the future what are the next steps for Drone Shield in say the the short to the near term uh, look. You know, we always look at making sure that our product lineup corresponds to what our customers want. Uh, so we're constantly, yeah. I guess you can call it mini pivoting, where you, where you say, okay, yeah. well, um, we are in the counter drone space, that's a given, but what kind of products do we make or refine that meet what our customers want? And, and the interesting thing is half the time the customers don't really know themselves what they want. Uh, so you, you're kind of yeah. trying to um, extrapolate from your various global experience and, and, you know, what they say to you as we find that everybody's kind of ultimately dealing with the same issue. So an issue in the States would be same as an issue in Europe or in Australia um, normally. Um, so continuing to refine our product line and, you know, making sure that we stay relevant and addressing the threat, uh, continuing to build in our relationships with, uh, with key customers um, so that's mm. right across the military and, and police and, and others. Uh, it should be not underestimated that the difference between, say, selling consumer goods and doing what we do is that the customers need yeah. to have trust in you and, and your company in, in going forward. So it's not as simple for them as just saying, okay, well, what you have now solves my requirements. Um, but also you becoming a trusted entity, so to speak. And that process takes time. And um, I feel we are finally there now. And it's kind of like an individual yeah. thing for every country as you go um, one country at a time. But I think we are finally kind of cracked it and, and we have uh, shown to our customers that we're a trusted partner. So it's kind of continuing um, uh, to do more of the same and, and you know, building better products and, and as we sell more, um, the market, I think, will continue to, uh, to mature. People are going to be, I guess, more, uh, more understanding that they require counter-drone solutions. Drone, drones themselves will continue yeah. to evolve. So um, um, whether yeah. it's, a, you know, 5G drones, whether it's um, drones that kind of swim on the surface of water or crawl on the ground, um, and you know, yeah. we, we're going to see a lot of innovation there, and we just have to um, stay um, in line with that. No, it's um, definitely the the way forward is listening to customers as more sales start flowing in for drone children. I guess my my last question for for the day, Oleg, is well, what is your your main vision for the company in in sort of long term? You know, two years. Um, well, there are uh, plenty of really capable Australian defence SMEs um, in this uh, in this country, mm. and we see ourselves as perfectly capable of becoming another Australian success story in the defence space globally. And this is very much what we're pushing. Um, I just spent a couple of years living with drone shield in the States and um, I, I can say that the yeah. talent that we have here is um, comparable with the world's best uh, in terms of our engineers yeah. uh, and, and kind of our level of our products. Uh, so um, I think we're perfectly capable of achieving that and it's just continuing to um, stay on course, listening to our customers and, and 
um, refining our products and, and continuing to, um, you know, to uh, get in front of our customers and doing demos and doing sales. Yeah, well, that's awesome and definitely on track. Well, Drone Shield, an Aussie company for the future. Thanks so much for your time today, Oleg. I really appreciate it. Um, and it's, it's been great chatting about um, all, the, all the now and the future. Um, thanks for listening and Thank we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.